The whole world will be watching my old Baptist church ladies split session. Anyway, pardon? Only, oh, well, not tonight. I'm going to start out with a verse. And I just want you to listen to the verse. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. I just want you to listen to it. It's going to be a verse that's familiar to you. And I want you to listen to it. And then I'll tell you, if you haven't figured it out, what the subject will be tonight. Now, remember, we've been teaching from this book. I've been teaching from this book, Respectable Sins. So we know it's going to have something to do with that. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Now, when we first read that verse, when we first hear that verse, we might say this, what a self-righteous person. Who does he think he is? But the irony is that even while we condemn him, we can easily fall into that same self-righteous attitude. Tonight we're going to discuss the sin of pride, but not pride in general. We're going to talk about three particular areas that are special temptations to Christians, and I think maybe even to women, maybe even a little bit more than men. Now, as I studied this particular chapter, and as an out I bring the information to you, I need to make it really, really clear to you that this was a hard one for me because this pointed out sin that I know that I deal with way more than I'd like to admit. I mean, it just lay. Sometimes when you read a book or read the Bible, I mean, it just lays it bare. And then you have to look at it and realize, hmm, that's me. Sometimes that's me. I don't like that. Do you like that? I don't like that. I don't like my little toes to get stepped on. (laughs) I have tender toes. I don't know. I've got pretty tough toes. So I guess when it steps on my toes, that's bad. But that happens. Paul said this in Romans 2.21. Thou, therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? And that's exactly what happens. As I study and prepare things to teach you, I also teach myself. The Lord points out very plainly the areas of sin that I have and the guilt associated with that. So before I teach you, I want you to understand that I'm also teaching me. So I'm not... uh, The good thing is, I always look at it this way. I'm guilty of, of the same things you are. So that makes me human just like you. And I'm thankful it still pricks my heart. After all these years as a Christian, you know, we could get hard sometimes and think, oh, I I know everything. I know all that. I know all that. But the Lord still pricks our heart. He's still working on us. I think that's a really important thing for us to remember. So I'm asking you to join me in asking God to reveal any areas of pride in our life tonight, especially those that we're going to cover tonight. I pray that the Lord will just open up our hearts to that. Let's pray real quick before we go any further. Lord, I do pray that this sin of pride, that I pray, Lord, that what you've given me, I would be able to very clearly teach tonight. I pray that you would reveal to us areas that 
that need to be changed and that we wouldn't just sweep things like this under the rug, but that we would really come to terms with who we are, what we are, um, and how we think and how we behave, Lord. I pray that you would change us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, before we try to dismiss pride as a respectable sin, let's see what the Bible says about it. I'll read to you parts of a couple of verses. And and here again, I'm not going to ask you to turn to these because I'm going to move into some verses probably pretty quickly. But in James, the book of James says this, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. He resisteth the proud. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Now this author, the next paragraph I'm going to read to you is something that's, that's exactly what he said. And I couldn't have said it any better. I want you to hear what he says about this. The proud are those who have an inordinate self-esteem, who have a high and unreasonable conceit of their own excellence or importance. This may extend to anything, to beauty or strength or attainments or family or country or rank or even religion. A man may be proud of anything that belongs to him or which can in any way be constructed as a part of himself or as pertaining to him. Anything. We can be proud in our faith. And we'll cover a little bit more of that as we go along. We can be proud because we're Baptists. You see, pride can be a good thing. But pride can be a bad thing. We can look at our faith or, or because we're Baptists and say, well, because we're Baptists, we don't. Or, because we're ba- or even because we're Christians, we don't. And because we're Christians, we do. And we're going to go on with that. There are things we should do and don't. But you hear the attitude, you hear what happens to us when we begin to be prideful. Just about anything about us or anything we are associated with can become a point of pride. James and Peter are both warning us, God opposes the proud. God resists the proud. Now, the first area of pride that we're going to discuss tonight is moral self-righteousness. That means basically morally right from wrong. It's the same area of pride that the Pharisee had. Remember I read the verse in the very beginning. The Pharisee stood and prayed, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. That's what that is. That's a moral self-righteousness. And it's easy for us to fall into. Our society as a whole is openly committing and condoning sins like immorality, divorce, homosexual lifestyle, abortion, drunkenness, drug use and abuse. We've talked about all those things before. That's what we see when we look. Glenn calls it the laboratory of life. When we look out and see the world, we see all of those things happening. And because we don't commit these sins, we can, without even realizing it, 
we can start to kind of feel morally superior. We might begin to look at people who live that lifestyle, who are involved in those sins, maybe with a certain attitude or disdain, maybe even contempt. Now understand, those sins that were just mentioned and many more I didn't mention, those are serious sins. Do you understand that they're tearing apart the moral fabric of our society? That's serious. A quote from the author of this book, Jerry Bridges, he said, and, I, and the reason I wrote this quote down was because I think sometimes we think the only person that's talking about this is, um, you know, fighting against things or the preachers and Fox News. <laughs> this, this author said, I respect those Christian leaders of today who raise a prophetic voice against them. He's talking about against those flagrant sins that are being committed. He said, I respect those Christians, those Christian leaders who speak out against it. We've got to call sin, sin. You know, I know sometimes you might sit in a service and and Glenn might say something and you think, oh, that's harsh. And he tries to be really careful. He really tries to be led by the Spirit of God as to what he says and how he says it and, and how he names sin. But sin is sin. And he has to say sin is sin. And we need to hear that sin is sin. This author also states that this this sin of moral self-righteousness is one of the most common subtle sins, second only to ungodliness. So it's really common for us to have this moral self-righteousness. And it's really difficult to recognize. And the reason it's difficult to recognize is because we all practice it to some degree. And we may not even realize it. Um, Have you ever thought, maybe said out loud, things like, I would never do that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you can't say, yeah, I would never do that. Um, I can't believe they live that way. Can't they see what they're doing to their children? We say those things, we think those things, those things are in our heart. We have this attitude because we don't live like that. We would never do that. We somehow, if we're not careful, begin to feel better than they are. And that's a pretty easy, that's a slippery slope. And it's a pretty easy attitude to fall into. Now, How can we guard against falling into this way of thinking? It has to be a change in our thinking. We have to change our thinking from, I'm better because I don't live that way, to, get this, you've heard this phrase before, I love it, but for the grace of God go I. Simple change in the way we think from I would never do, I'm better because I would. I live a certain way to but for the grace of God go I. Now it's time for a little history lesson because I kind of wondered where that came from. This quote was attributed to a fellow named John Bradford. Now he was, um, he was a preacher of the 1500s. So this, this phrase was from a long time ago, and it is said that he said it, 
as he saw criminals being led to the scaffold to be hung. And as he saw them being taken off to be hung, he said, and when you hear it in context, it makes sense, but for the grace of God go I. That could have been him. It could have been us. Now, you see the difference in thinking? I would never. They should never. There's an attitude that comes with that, too. Thank you, Lord. But for the grace of God, that would be me. Now, here's, here's an interesting fact. I thought this was part of your history lesson. I'll just throw this in. Ultimately, he was burned at the stake. <laughs> Not for doing anything bad, though. <laughs> she giggles. Because <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting, too, that here he said, you know, I could have been hanged. He ultimately was burned at the stake. I'm not sure which I'd prefer. I think they're both pretty dreadful. But it is supposed that he said this to those who were with him. We shall have a merry supper with the Lord tonight. And I thought, what a testimony. Yeah, isn't that great? We shall have a merry supper with the Lord tonight. That would be, if I were about to get burned, that might be a source of encouragement to me (laughs) to hear somebody say that. If we are believers who seek to live morally upright lives, it is only because of the grace of God. It's his love, his truth that changes us. Do you know none of us is just naturally morally upright? We all have to say with David in Psalms, he said this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Do you get it? We were all born in sin and born into sin. None of us is just naturally good. We just aren't. It's God in us. It's the goodness of God that makes us good at all. Any goodness in us is of him, from him. It is him. But for the grace of God go I. Even now we're just sinners saved by grace. A lot of you know that old song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We're just sinners saved by grace. We ought to feel deeply grateful to God that by his grace, he has either kept us or rescued us from such a lifestyle. And I kind of liked that thought, either kept us or rescued us, because for some of us, he kept us. I always felt like, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but somehow I always felt like God was keeping me with good people around friends who were not you know, worldly and ungodly and partying. Because, you know, it would have been easy not being raised in a Christian home just to slip into all of those things. I kind of felt like my whole life I felt like God was sort of keeping me. And some of you he has rescued from. There are people in our church who lived that lifestyle, and God has rescued them from it. So he has either kept us or rescued us from such a lifestyle. Either way... Can't we just say to God be the glory? Whichever case, whichever area you fall into, praise the Lord. He's either kept you or rescued you from that. The second area, the second pride that I want to bring to you tonight is the pride of correct doctrine. Now, I kind of think this one might be one that that men might struggle with even a little bit more than we do, especially maybe ministry men or people who 
have been saved for a long time. I'm a pastor's wife. And even before Glenn was a pastor, he was a youth pastor. He was um, a coach at a Christian school. He was an assistant pastor. He taught um, college career class. Um, I ran nursery. I taught the little sparks. I worked in a million different classes and have done uh, little people and have done... Um, High school girls and junior high. You know, we've, we've been, we've been in ministry 44 years. You know how long we've been married? 44 years. It's almost 45 years. We've been in ministry our whole, really adult married life. I mean, I got married, I just barely turned 19. My whole adult life, I've been involved in ministry. I just know it all. (laughs) Just kidding. But you see how easy it is to slip into that kind of attitude? Well, I've been there, done that. If you have been in church any length of time at all, you, like me, struggle in this area. I struggle in this area. If you care about biblical doctrine, and I hope you do, you're susceptible to this form of pride. And that's why I said I think especially ministry people and maybe even men more so would struggle with this. Because men sort of, I think, have that my way or the highway, don't they? You know, I think men are maybe more prone to that. Now, I'm going to define my terms so that, or my term in this case, uh, pride of correct doctrine, so you'll kind of know where I'm going with this. This is the assumption that whatever my doctrine beliefs are, they are correct, and anyone who holds another belief is theologically inferior or just plain wrong. <laughs> Sandy's got a smiling at me. My way or the highway. (laughs) Have we been in churches like that before, Sandy? Yes. Some of us have come out of what they call very hard-nosed churches that would believe that. That if you don't believe exactly as we believe, you are wrong. You should know what the Bible teaches. We need to study the truths of the Bible and develop convictions about what the scriptures teach. We absolutely need to do that for ourselves. Not only do we need to know what the Bible teaches, but we need to live what the Bible teaches. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. Knowing it is just not enough. We can't be just hearers of the word. We need to be doers also. The Bible tells us that. But we need to be humble. That's a hard word because we think we know what is right. We think we know what is best. And and you know what? We might. You know what? We might be right. And we might know what is best. It's that whole attitude thing again, isn't it? We need to be humble. We need to understand that others may not be there yet. And you know, the truth is, they may never be. There's going to be people who are never going to be on the same page as you are. Right, Vicki? I mean, there's people who are Christians, good people, but they're never going to be on the same page that we are. I thought of, I tried to think of some examples of that. Um, Teaching the truth in love is what I was thinking of when I got there. Because we want people to be on the same page. We want to teach them. But we need to teach them in love. That's where the humility comes in. And I thought about where could I see examples of that. And nobody's, you know, nobody's perfect. My husband's not perfect. And I'm not going to give you the list of the. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you where he is. He is very patient with people who are not on the same page. He just is. And 
I'm going to give you a couple of areas in particular. One is Calvinism. Now, Calvinism is an extremely complex subject. And I am not going to try. He's taught on it before. I'm not going to try and go into details on that. But we have had people come to our church on and off who are either definitely Calvinist or they kind of lean toward it. Now, we're not Calvinist. We're not going to change. We're not going to become Calvinist. We've studied it and studied it and studied it. We are not Calvinist. But can a Calvinist come here? Yes. They can come here, and they can serve in this church and be really happy, mainly because either they're going to be five-point Calvinists and leave, you know, and that's why I'm not going to get into Calvinism. There's all these different things. Or they're going to be kind of minor Calvinists and just have questions about it, and it's not going to be a big deal. But Glenn is very, very gracious in that area. He just says, just come. Just come and let the Lord work. Just come. There's another area that good men disagree. Bible versions. Glenn is a King James man. He teaches it. He memorizes it. He preaches it. That is all he uses from our pulpit. But, you know, we have very good friends, good godly men, who use different versions. We are not going to cut fellowship with them over something like that. You see what I'm saying? Because I th- because it's not going to be it, – it is – It is what we prefer. It is what we think is a better choice. It's what we think is the best choice. So we're not going to change. We're going to keep doing what we think is the better thing. But Glenn is very gracious with that. You've heard him say, you you know, you can use your Bible. I'm going to tell you, when you come to our class, he tells the people in our class, I use the King James Bible. And he has a whole lesson on this is why I believe it is the very best Bible to use. Do you see how we can be humble and teach the truth in love and be gracious and not have this superiority about our doctrinal issues? We can stand firm for what we know is biblical and even what we believe is best without changing and without ever being a bully and without ever being unkind. Now, I think most of you probably do not deal with this, but I'm presenting it to you because I think sometimes in little places in our heart it's there. Not in a big, bold way where we would, you know, don't let the door hit you as you're going out if you don't agree with me. We're not going to do that. But in our heart, deep down sometimes, if somebody's not on the same page, not there yet, or maybe never are, sometimes we maybe start to feel a little bit of resentment or irritation, maybe bitterness over it. And, you know, that is not, that needs to not be our position. Our position needs to be humbly teaching the truth in love and letting God do the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it took me years and years and years to figure out I'm not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You laugh, but, I mean, I really thought I was. (laughs) I thought I was everybody. You know, we, especially if you spend any time in a church that kind of has those strong doctrines, you tend to believe your way is the only right way. Um, I wrote this down because I think it's true. We may even, if we handle things properly, we may get an opportunity to see change in others. If we handle this properly, if we have the right humble spirit, 
If we teach the truth in love, we might actually see somebody change and get on the same page as us. Instead of just building a wall and just losing them forever, that happens. That happens within families sometimes because people are so determined that their way is the only way. And I'm telling you, when it's family, it hurts. You don't want to see them reject what you know is biblical doctrine and biblical truth. But if we're not careful, we'll just turn them off and run them away. That's why the Bible says teach the truth in love. We're still supposed to teach the truth. We're still supposed to live the truth. Don't cave. Do what is right. Live what is right. Speak truth. But do it in love. And here's another thought. We might even find out when we get to heaven that maybe we were wrong about something. Yeah, I'd, I'm going to hate that because I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to happen. God's going to go, I tried to tell you. <laughs> Because I want my way, I want my way to be right. But we might find out that some of these things that we were so hard on, maybe, maybe God's not so hard on them. We need to be careful and make sure it's God and not our opinion. Sometimes we should treat those who disagree with us and with whom we disagree with the same respect that we would desire to be shown. Now, that doesn't always happen easily, does it? No. The third area is the pride of achievement. The Bible teaches that there's a direct relationship between work and success, right? You don't work, you don't eat. I look at it as work and success. I think it's a really successful day when I get to eat something really good. <laughs> I just work and eat. I work hard, I want to eat something really good. I'm going to take this a step further now. Proverbs 13.4 says this. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. That means that a lazy person is going to desire, want, but not have. And the diligent will be successful. Lazy, nothing, hard work, success. Right? Now, doesn't that make sense? All of that is just, I'm a black and white sort of person. That works for me. And then this happens in the Bible. However, <laughs> Vicky's just laughing. The Bible also teaches that success and in, in any endeavor is under the sovereign control of God. Remember last week I read this, The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and he lifteth up. That even though the Bible says, You don't work, you don't eat. He also says... Some are going to have more than others because he decides it. Listen to this verse, Psalm 75, 6 says, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. My example, two college students in the same major can work equally as hard, one making the dean's list and one barely making passing grades. Two kids, both working hard. Both godly kids. One makes a dean's list and one barely struggles. I will give you a, a closer-to-home example of that. Aaron and Matthew. Aaron was a diligent kid in school. Aaron worked hard in school. Aaron tried really hard to make good grades, but Aaron had some terrible struggles academically. 
She just, you know, the, the fact that Erin has a three-year, um, what do you call her certificate? Um, associate's degree. We never thought Erin would make it in college. She has a, and she teaches four-year-olds. She's a teacher. We never thought that would happen. I'm telling you, she struggled so terribly. Matthew was born bright as a whip, a mind that is amazing. And if you hear Matthew preach, Matthew has a mind that is amazing. He has a keen understanding of human nature. He has a keen understanding of God. But when Matthew was a kid, he was mm, easily distracted. Would that be a nice way of saying it? (laughs) Matthew was easily distracted. Matthew liked to do the stuff he really liked to do. Um, When Matthew would practice piano, when Aaron practiced piano, Aaron would practice piano, and I knew what the lessons were supposed to sound like, so I'd hear Aaron beat it out over and over and over and over and over. She'd miss the same notes every time. I mean, I could just hear her, but she was diligent. She'd practice it for her 30 minutes over and over and over and over. Matthew would start out. I'd hear him for about the first five minutes. I'd hear his lesson. And then about 15 minutes later, I would notice all this beautiful music wafting through the air, and I would realize that is not his lesson. That is just Matthew just having a good time on the piano. He had a wonderful time and had a wonderful ear and could play whatever he liked. But it's important that you learn rhythm and notes and that you are focused. I mean, there's a whole lot to learn in the piano besides just playing whatever your little heart desires. So you see what would happen. Aaron worked harder. But Matthew had a natural gift. Now, where did that come from? God. God did that. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. That may appear to be the case. But our intellect, our natural skills... Hey, and I don't fault God for that, by the way. Aaron has more patience than Matthew has in his thumb. I mean, Aaron is the most patient, calm... You know, she has 13 four-year-olds that she handles by herself all day. Would you like to handle 13 four-year-olds all day? No. But she does. She just loves them. She just loves them, and they love her. Um, I don't think Matt could do that. (laughs) So they both have different gifts, but the point is our intellect, our natural skills, our talents, our health, even our opportunities... That all comes from God. We have nothing that will enable us to achieve success that we did not receive from God. The Bible tells us that all good gifts come from above. And I would say this, all gifts that come from above are good. All of that comes from God. So when we boast and we begin to feel like we've got it all together, and we did it, and, you know, I did a really good job on that. And there's a place to make sure that we are doing a good job, because the Bible says he wants things done decently and in order. But when that happens, we need to stop and remember that it's because of God, not because of us. A proponent in there, part of it is our hard work. But our hard work isn't everything, is it? Because you just saw two kids who one worked really hard at something and the other was just like, let's have fun and party and just natural giftedness. Um, So there's more to the equation than just hard work. It is God. God makes that. God, God puts one up and one down. Now, 
when I look at it on the flip side, Aaron's able to do things Matt can't do in another way. But you get it? That's up to God. God's the one who doles out those skills and that intellect and that natural ability. God does that. And we do need to work hard. The Bible teaches that we need to work hard, but that's not the whole story. That's not all of it. I want to read something to you. It's just a little bit. Like most families, my wife and I receive a lot of Christmas letters with family news from friends and acquaintances we have made over the years. Do you guys get those? They used to be, I think, more popular than they are now, but you used to get, and I kind of like those, actually, because I can kind of find out what people have been doing, but I know it seems like for a couple of years, I would get like 20 of them, and these these people have kids that are amazing. Occasionally, one of the letters might say something like this. Our son, John, graduated summa cum laude from some some prestigious university, such as Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Now, there's nothing wrong with communicating this good news to family and friends, but stated in the above fashion, the letter conveys the idea, isn't our son smart, with no acknowledgement that his intellectual ability came from God? Now, he goes on to say, wouldn't it be nice if, if... the letter said something like this. Our son John graduated um, from this prestige, prestigious university. We deeply acknowledge that John's intellectual abilities come from God, and we are profoundly grateful to him. We know that God does not choose to endow every child with the abilities he has given John. We have tried to instill this grateful attitude in John and to teach him that his academic abilities are a stewardship entrusted to him by God. And it kind of goes on. And I thought, wow, that might be a little much. (laughs) I couldn't help but think, I don't know that I'd want to say that. (laughs) But how about, praise God, our son has done well. Isn't God good? Our son has done so well. I mean, we could certainly give God the glory. Doesn't have to be a big production. <laughs> We've covered three areas of sin that easily creep into our lives, and my prayer is that by being aware of them, we'll be better prepared as those sins kind of creep in. You know, we have to remember this. We've talked about this before. All sin is dangerous. I read this quote, a proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. You know, when I thought about that, what do we really deserve? We deserve hell. So can't we be grateful? I mean, if all we had is heaven, now that's not all we have. I mean, look what God's given us, the blessing of family and friends, the blessing of community, the blessing of a church family the blessing of this beautiful building, the blessing of, I mean, we could go on and on and on with the blessings he's given us. So he's given us way more than salvation. But wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be more than we deserve? So we already, as Christians, have more than we deserve. He's given us heaven for eternity. I think that's a pretty good deal. We're going to close tonight. The men are out, so we're going to pray and let you go. I want you to remember, all sin is dangerous. And these little bitty things that creep in, these areas of pride that kind of creep in, and we think, ah, that's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. Sin is a big deal. and We need to recognize it and get rid of it.